Hello, you're listening to a spoiler-filled film conversation. Hooray! It's Jippo, the musical. <laughs> I wanted to say it. <laughs> but I didn't. Oh, but you dear. said it, so it's, it's, it's done now. <laughs> Everything's coming up roses. I don't actually... Remember the songs that well. I'm, I'm, I'm even surprised you remembered that, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, hello. We're doing Gypsy this week. I am Richard. With me to form the podcast is Abigail. Hello. And Anthony. Hello. No Jamie this time. But we will soldier on. Uh, yes, it was Abby's choice to do a musical this week. It was the 1962 musical Gypsy. Uh, Abby, can you give us the details so we don't confuse it with the TV show or um, any other Romany travelling items or people? It was directed by Mervyn Leroy. The screenplay was written by Leonard Spiegelgas, based on the stage play by Arthur Lorenz, based on the memoirs of Gypsy Rose Lee. It stars Rosalind Russell, Natalie Wood, Carl Malden, Paul Wallace, and let's say Morgan Brittany. And it's based on the Broadway hit about the life and times of burlesque dancer Gypsy Rose Lee and her aggressive stage mother, Mama Rose. Yeah, you made it sound like one of those credits was somewhat optional, whether you just decided... (laughs) (laughs) Just decided whether that person was in the film or not. Very benevolent of you. (laughs) You I think the synopsis is slightly the wrong way around, though. Because it's it's not really about Gypsy Rose Lee. It's about her mother. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I guess the alternate title would be Rose the Musical, wouldn't it? It, We've immediately gone in on to my my main issue with this film is that it's not it, it's about the wrong person i i wouldn't say it's about the wrong person i don't think it's it's wrong to make a film about the mother character because she's a very interesting character but i see where you're coming it's... from it's it's it should have like yeah in the sense that it was called gypsy and it was sold more or less on natalie wood's face well, not, not just her face. Odd <laughs> way of putting it, but yeah. Anyway, let's talk a bit about what we were expecting from Gypsy. Um, I'll go first, because my only expectation was confounded. I hadn't really heard of it, and when I was like, oh, it's a musical from the 60s, I was like, oh, is it that one with Barbara Streisand in? And I'm like, I don't know what I was thinking of, but it hasn't got Barbara Streisand in. So, I brought nothing to the table of expectations. I was literally just like, I don't know what it's about. Still not a, Well, now I know what it was, it was about, but uh, I, I don't know. I didn't know anything about it, never I heard of it. I don't know. I don't think you had brought no expectations to the table. I think you went to the wrong table, and then a couple of people were like, who the fuck are you, what are you doing here? And you went, oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> and went away. I was uh, yeah, I was I was there dressed up like Bar- what Barbara Streisand at the Barbara Streisand convention. Only it wasn't a convention for her; it was 
a different one. All it was just a different. I don't know. I don't know. It just I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. But I did watch Gypsy from 1962, so I am boned up mm. now. So but I can't. some like expectations, though. I mean, it's still you still knew you were coming into like a 60s musical, and that kind of has some baggage to it. I was suspecting if I haven't heard of it or. Like, I have maybe, now that I've watched it, I'm like, maybe some of the songs are familiar. Like, not many, but little bits of them. Like, oh, so maybe my mum has sung that in the house or something. But all I expected in that regard was, well, if I haven't heard of it, it probably isn't that good then, because the mega successful ones penetrate culturally, don't they? You can't, even if you haven't seen them, you've heard of them. And mm. if I haven't heard of it, then it hasn't penetrated my cultural sphere, if you will. So maybe, maybe slightly like, oh, this isn't going to be very good. But, uh, you know, I, did, I, don't, I don't go out my way for uh, dated musicals, so I wasn't sure. I I think I had a similar thing. Because um, this is one, I knew the name of it. Um, and I was pretty sure it was a musical. I couldn't remember coming into it i think like the trailer that we watched was had music in it but um yeah i was coming in a similar thing where i couldn't offhand name you like a song from it and that's quite rare at least at least every musical has like at least that one song that like stands out and like like you said kind of like uh, just kind of penetrates um popular culture by itself which I was not familiar with with this film. Um, so on on that regard, I suppose I was coming in a little similar, but I do have a weird higher tolerance for musical films than I think you guys do. Maybe not Abby. I think we probably have share about this similar level. Quite similar, yeah. So yeah, like I, I like I do nothing. It was it was other than the you know the expectations of it just being a kind of sixties musical. Like I, uh, I, I had, I had nothing, other than maybe it was slightly lesser because I didn't know any of the music at all. Okay, so Abby, what did you pick it for? And I guess uh, what were you expecting from it, from us all watching it? I suppose. Well, I'd watched it long ago. Nineteen sixty-two. Half echelons. <laughs> And I sort of remembered bits of it, and I thought I should fill in these blanks, really. But it turned out there was there was, there was a lot more blank than I gave it credit for. It was a very long film, yes. <laughs> it's the old uh, Three Little Ducks, 222. Uh, two hours, 22 minutes. And it's surprising how... By the end, you think there probably should have been more film, really. <laughs> it felt like it took a long time to get to a bit that should have had a continued element of the story. And I don't mm. want to jump all the way to the end straight away, but I was, I did, I, I was, it didn't, it didn't drag for me. But by the end, I was like, shouldn't there be a bit more of this now that we've got here? <laughs> Considering the film's called Gypsy, and you think from very early on, you twig where it's going. Like, you get what the journey will be. It's how it fleshes it out, I guess, is the important thing. And I was like, okay, so she'll be cut. Like, the one of the daughters of this pushy stage mum will become 
Gypsy and she'll have some sort of success, maybe the rise and fall of Gypsy as well. And then it, oh, no, no. <laughs> we haven't got time for that. <laughs> yeah. so, now, this, um... this is the biopic problem because it's based on true events. They just, it plays out like life would, where some stuff comes to something, some stuff doesn't come to something, which it happens you didn't expect. And then some stuff that's just, you knew would happen eventually and then does. But, like, <laughs> con- conventionally, a biopic will be the life story, not just the life before I was famous story. You just see what I mean? Like, the Gypsy's tale as a burlesque dancer, which is what she becomes uh, mm. the character who becomes Gypsy. Once she's a burlesque dancer and gets successful, we don't know what happens to her. <laughs> like, yeah, because especially as in the film, like the moment where that actually happens is quite a dramatic moment, and you think like, oh, this is like, you know, a, a starting point for like the real proper drama, and it's really not. No. It's it's odd. It's, I don't I don't say that I I want another film out of it. But uh, anyway, let's let's rewind back before we sort of analyse whether it worked or not and come to what the end of the film. Let's go back to the beginning. It's essentially as the summary suggested about a pushy stage mum, and it's what is it the twenties or the late teen hundreds? What is it? Yeah, I think I think that sounds about right. Anyway, the the important thing is, uh, it's kind of the tail end of the popularity of vaudeville, massive in the the turn of the century. All this um, like variety shows, and then it's kind of as that's wrapping up, burlesque is kind of taking off in the more liberated twenties and and things, and that, which that you know that in in its own way kind of came to a conclusion towards the time where war starts and no one can be going to frat pratting around watching people undress. Anyway, the, it, it ends in the heyday of, of burlesque, which is, you know, glamorised stripping, isn't it? How, how do you guys feel about A, um, vaudeville, and B, burlesque? Maybe that'll affect how we feel about this film. Uh, to both they counts. Belong, <laughs> they belong I, in the I, past for a reason. Yeah. It's a cultural <laughs> touchstone. Hmm. But it's it's not something. Well, actually, I'm on the fence about it in terms of uh, a, a method of entertainment. I suppose is the only way I think to put it, where it's sort of nice that there was a place that you could go to, you pay to get in, and then you could just stay there for as long as you felt like, and then go somewhere else. Yeah, it was. It was the vaudeville. At least was variety acts. It was a bit of comedy, singing, dancing. You know, you might see a juggler or a fucking sword swallower or something. You could. You could it's basically, you know, Britain or America's Got Talent in the theatre. Like it's just a bunch of professional a- amateur people. You could get anything: bad jokes, good songs, bad songs, good jokes. You know, it's literally mm. a variety theatre show, and you you know, in a way like there's something interesting about oh, we got this week we got a fucking ventriloquist and a sexy belly dancer, like there's something nice about the the gamble you take, I mean you might specifically go after someone you you might you might go see a show if someone's in it that you're interested in, or at least when there was less to do in the 1900s um and then that's another thing, you have to remember 
there was shit all to do in the 1900s. <laughs> yeah, you could be working in like a factory or shoveling some horse shit or something for fun. Like, I don't know, go fishing, go blackberry picking or something. There's nothing to do. No fucking Instagram, mate. Um, so, I, you know, I get why. It, obviously, it was popular, you know, for a reason. It was culturally important. And it went on. It, it fed on to what, you know, movies and films would, you know. Uh, you know, it, it's still it's still around in the form of reality shows, I think. I think that is the equivalent of vaudeville sometimes. And, uh, you know, it, in its day, it had its merit, but it was probably fucking a bit too lowest common denominator for, for my tastes, generally. I mean, who the fuck wants to see a juggler? You don't pay to see a juggler. <laughs> I suppose the the modern-day, like, remnant of vaudeville is, like, stand-up comedians. Like, they're the ones who really kind of have, have survived, like, vaudeville over the years. Yeah, mm. I mean, they have to update. You won't get... That well, you might, there probably still is an audience for old-timey jokes about this and that, but um, yeah, it's yeah, the but, it's the simple yeah, format, I mean, isn't it? Kind of like there's not other than going to see like uh, like a proper full-on musical or like a stage play. Pretty much the only thing you'd go to a theatre for now is stand-up comedians. Yes, yeah, uh, you, you go see some uh, you, you go see some dancing perhaps as well. That's still you still go and see like you know. Michael Flatley or someone, wouldn't you? Like, people go... Like, you know, it's still... Vegas makes a big deal out of this kind of stuff that has come out of vaudeville, really, doesn't it? Magic shows and dancing and songs being sung. I hear, I hear music's still pretty popular these days. <laughs> anyway, the point is, vaudeville's dead. But, you know, there is a retro interest in it sometimes. And then, like, uh, burlesque has its own... It's still going today, but it's sort of a... Uh, gimmicky form of stripping, isn't it? It's it's people who are a bit hipster and like a bit of, uh, you know, it's it's just a way to misogynize usually women, uh, but in a cultured way where you're referencing the past and <laughs> you're you're, you know, you're wearing period bikinis or whatever. <laughs> like do you know what I mean? Like That's it's a weird thing. Like I know a couple of people who are sort of doing it as a feminist they're like taking back their bodies or whatever i'm just like really okay i guess yeah yeah no it's like <laughs> you know it's um it's fine like i don't have any problem with it and oft often the thing with like a burlesque show uh there's often a, a big emphasis on comedy as well like it's not just a sordid striptease it's mm. like a um it's often you know the the stuff that has wide appeal is it's more of an entertainment and a show than it is i want to see a woman remove her claws like it's a, it's supposed to be a little bit more entertaining i think i think that's the idea but yeah cuz um Dita von Teese has got like the giant martini glass and that kind of thing and it's a proper stage show yeah there's definitely a, a subculture of people who are well into it um but for me it's still like I don't know. I don't want to subjectify women openly in a room. I want to do it privately in my own house. <laughs> I don't want. I don't want the woman I'm subjectifying to know about it. I just want to either secretly look at them. <laughs> That's terrible, isn't it? No, but you know, do you know what I mean? Like, I don't. I don't care for that. Going to see people undress live. I don't know what it serves. Like, you know, like it's. I suppose it's slightly different these days, though, because. We've kind of dropped the pretense, and we just have strip clubs now, where it's you know, 
you're pretty much just there to see women take their clothes off rather than see a show. If you see what I mean. Yeah, so, but even even that I can't see. Like I don't see the oh yeah, of course I want to um have a lap dance and then take my boner outside. Uh, do you know like what's it for? Like I don't know like <laughs> it kind of it doesn't make sense as a I don't want I don't understand the appeal of oh drinking with the lads, going to see some poor woman who who's dead in, in the eyes, tittle, <laughs> trying to titillate. It, there's no element. It doesn't matter how liberated the woman is or how empowered the whole thing's meant to be. I'm still like, this is a fucking waste of time, guys. What are we doing? Let's <laughs> let's go meet some real humans who we could actually have sex with or something. It would be like a better plan, as far as I'm concerned. Otherwise, let's not let's not you know do it at all. But anyway. I don't want to go off on a, just us talking about burlesque and strippers and all this, but this is the contextually it's important to like you know whether we're going to get on board because I think there's going to be a fan base of Gypsy that are like oh, I love Gypsy because they love cabaret and they love fucking burlesque shows and they're into dated you know turn of the century fashion. I mean the twenties had some cool clothes, as demonstrated by Rose in this film, like. She looks amazing in pretty much every time period they are in, doesn't she? You mean the mother, Rose? Now, oh yes. yeah, not uh, Gypsy Rose Lee. Oh yeah, I can't, I can't fault, I can't fault the like the the production on the film. I mean, well, no. um, the costumes, yes, the sets, no, <laughs> Some the of sets them... uh, certainly are sets, but they're very colourful lavish sets and the film like, is also the film's book ended uh, with like an orchestra pit and like red curtains so I think some of the sets appearing like an actual stage play like very very artificial like they look good but there's scenes like when they're in the desert and maybe at the train station we like in no fucking world do I believe this but then it's a musical and, it, <laughs> and it's it's drawing on the notion that this is a theatrical performance in and of itself Perhaps. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm like, are you fucking kidding? You st- the state on this set, like, it's so fake. <laughs> Although the sets of the theatres are better than anything. Like, the behind-the-scenes theatre sets, quite convincing. So, I don't know. Mm. But then you've got to kind of think of it in terms of context, because all kind of film musicals would have been on sound stages and mm. would, would have been on sets. And, um, you know, for... It's- for that, it, it's, it's quite all right. Yes, I think given that that's kind of how it was done most of the time, that's mm. fair enough. I, I'm thinking of stuff like uh, Mary Poppins or Chitty Chitty Bang, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, where which felt a little bit more like you're in the real world. At least most, I mean, even when they're jumping into paintings and shit, like it's still a slightly more convincing location a lot of the time in the, those ones. But yeah, like at the it, when you did a, a, a filmic musical, they were often just like recorded plays some of the time, weren't they? Mm. Yeah. And and like you were saying, this it does this film does kind of make that a part of it um, because you know it opens with like the orchestra pit and it's on a stage and um, the whole thing is about being on the stage and like the showbiz life. Yeah. And it obviously is playing that hand then. It's like, oh, well, we can then take a few liberties and make it a bit more stagey. 
And sometimes that works. But where I think it really doesn't work is in the 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 directing of like the actors and like the camera placement because it's because for a musical it is very static a lot of the time. Yeah, that's unusual as well because they previously they were all about um, all singing, all dancing, like Hmm. all over the place all the time. And well, thinking back on it. All the musical numbers are played very straight. It's just one person singing in one direction with not many cuts and not that very dynamic camera work or anything going on. Yeah, I I couldn't exactly suggest where you could work in some good ideas. Like a lot of um, lavish musicals. Uh, even from this time period, you might have the overhead shot where you've got a lot of dancers doing something. You want you want to mix it up and try and do mm. more with it, and then and like you know have someone running through. Like you have even in like uh, uh, stuff that is on meant to be about a stage area. Like so, singing in the rain. One of the most famous scenes. It's sort of like that lovely transition through the that the, was it like the street basically and the lamppost and like it's mm. all that's a set, but it's like. It's dynamic, isn't it? Something's happening yes. uh, to entertain you visually as well as uh, just convey the story. One of the, one of the things actually that struck me early on was obviously it's it's in keeping with the idea of uh, vaudeville and uh, the comedy that would be on the stage. But this film is fucking jokes, 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 jokes. Just oh lol, have a good old fucking laugh at us putting on a show it's just oh it was just bare jokes from the beginning and it was a little bit grating because for the most part they fucking sucked ass yeah <laughs> and especially as like you know like the the main kind of conflict in in the film could have been quite dramatic as well yeah i mean okay. like the the relationship between like the mother and the daughters and her who are kind of all constantly pushing them into like things they don't really want to do, um, mm. and they, they, it just plays it very lightly a lot of the time. Yeah, I mean, it's just um, you know, like it, sometimes humor in a comedy is just natural. You know, it's a situation, it's the language, it's it, you know, it's just subtle, I guess. But this was we're doing some shtick, like proper. Mm. Wink, laugh, nudge, nudge. You know, sh- we're doing shtick. We've like people are throwing witty lines back at each other. Everyone's got witty retorts to everything. I mean, obviously, especially the mother is like, she's an overpowering person. She's a large personality, very pushy. And I think okay, so we're talking about the start of it, uh, it opens on an audition for um, a show. Like they're auditioning uh, various acts. Is that right? Yes, was it Uncle Jocko's fucking racist, horrible Tamashanter <laughs> bullshit? Random kids do stuff act. Yeah, the uh, racist Scottish stereotypes talent contest thing. Abby, what did you make of? Uh... I mean, maybe just talk about it. Come on, it's your pick. I don't want to lead us on everything. It was one, if I can remember correctly, from my notes. Jock, uh, Mr. J- Jocko was not in the memoir. 
he didn't the the real person didn't do that for a living when they met her they only did that for the film so that they met earlier weird and that he'd actually have some decent screen time you know which is odd cuz like like uh what's the name of the actor playing uh this comedy um it's weird because actually for the audition Uncle Jocko doesn't need to be in character, does he? It's just an audition to be in the show. But um, what's the actor's name? Carl Malden. Malden. Carl Malden. What's he like famous for? The the thing that I know him from was he was like the main detective in um, the streets of San Francisco. I don't know if you ever saw that. I can't he say was I in um, Streetcar Named Desire and on the waterfront as well. Ah, that's probably more where I placed him from. Enough. <laughs> I don't know. You're like you're very much seventies cheesy detective, so that could have been one for you, Rich. Oh no, He's I'm got not, you there. He, like I'm not. <laughs> it's just a chance. I haven't seen it. I just um, he was familiar to me, but without being uh, without like I don't know. I I felt like he could have easily fallen into the Twelve Angry Men film somewhere. I might have forgotten about him. Oh, he had a the feral gonk on him. I thought it was like a, a comedy nose at first, and I was like, "Wait, this actor does actually have quite a weird nose." There was like, I also that. like when he turns, because the thing is, as you say, Abby, he, if he's not a real person, he, he's not uh, whoever. I guess it doesn't exactly curate. I mean, anyway, he's not Uncle Jocko for a living. He is a what's he selling? Chocolate bars. He is. You know, he is. That is his living. It's just he quits right at the beginning, and then his next job is selling. Um, what was it Butterfingers? Sure. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like Abby was saying, he didn't do that in real in the memoirs. Is what that's what you said, right? Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, he, that he the, specifically the Jocko bit. He didn't do it. It's just that is... he, he. They wanted to write him in earlier, and then it, then serendipitously. When uh, Rose and her uh, daughters don't get employed in the talent thing, they happen to like their car breaks down and they meet him in like a just coincidentally, I guess, and then build a relationship from there. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the other change that they made that I, that I specifically wrote down in real, or is it the play? Because it's a memoir, then it's a play, then it's a film. It gets mm-hmm. difficult to unweave one bit from another, but at some point, June runs away with Tulsa, not Jerry. Okay, we haven't and talked that's the about other them. Thing that they it's just weird, like place name and a boy's name. Um, yeah. Anyway, like it doesn't matter. It could all be bullshit anyway, because it's a person writing their memoir. So, <laughs> um, the point is, we have the introduction of all the key characters. So. We see an audition, we, we're put into the world, it's a world of, you know, singing and variety acts, and this first one seems to be particularly, this first one seems to be particularly about children auditioning for, for like, a show that's going to be on, and, mm. uh, yeah, so Baby June is a blonde little girl who can sing and dance, and is the prized daughter of uh, Rose, yes? Yeah. Yes. And she's the main sort of attraction. And then she has a sister who's called... So she has loads of names in the film. But her original name is Louise, right? Yes. And Louise 
is part of the the show, and like I think I think one of the early jokey joke jokes is uh, when she's asked like uh, well I think she basically they're explaining who they are to the person auditioning them, and she's like oh I I don't have any talent my mum hasn't discovered what it is yet, and it's like uh-huh, I'm talentless and I'm aware of it and I'll, my mum will tell me one day what what I'm good at, you know. And so she's Louise is like the oh well you're a bit boyish and you're not you can't sing and dance as well as your sister, but um, we can still use you as like a backing dancer or something, right? And so she's the sort of playing the male of the I don't know the, like Baby June is like a, is the girly girl character, and her sister's like your uh, boring boy character that doesn't feature as much in the little narrative of the song, isn't it? That's the idea. Something like that, yes. And mid-singing and auditioning, the mum kind of blusters her way on stage. Rose is like, overpowers basically everyone in the scene, even the casting director and things, and is basically telling them how good their, her daughters are. And like, really, like, both selling and being pushy. She's like the, the most stereotypical pushy stage mum we've ever seen. Isn't that right? Yes, it's very, it's very heightened performance um and I, i'll give it to her it's i did like her performance it's like a tour de force and mm. there's there's a lot of effort that goes into a performance like this like the energy alone that you need to just keep this kind of performance going is incredible and uh, i have to give kudos to that performance um but i will say maybe her singing performance is not quite up to the standard of the rest of her performance but we'll get to oh, that. I, I read this that's not her voice weird apparently she did record audio for it but that was even worse <laughs> so they didn't uh, use it <laughs> As... it just it just to me seemed anytime she was singing it seemed to be a little flat like she was singing in a key lower than it should have been because that was her natural singing voice. But even, it seems, you just backhandedly insulted whoever was vo- voiced her in the singing <laughs> moments. I think what was important... It was, it was a very... If she was dubbed, it was very good, because it it seemed like her, her own voice. It was, like, it was very close to her, like, accent and cadence and stuff. Yeah, it, mm. was, it was a good choice to match up, I think, anyway. Even if we're not quite sold on how good the singer she's supposed to be. But this is the thing. It kind of plays into the the theme and narrative of the story, which is, you know, she's a a pushy stage mum and perhaps wishes she could have been a performer. So the fact that she's not a performer suggests she isn't skilled enough um, to to make it in the industry. Uh, So, you know, it would be kind of in-keeping if she's not brilliant not spectacular like and and therefore it's sort of it's sort of fitting that she she both as an actress in the movie she steals the show slightly but that's also the point mm. of the character she's she wants her daughters to be successful and be the star of the stage while simultaneously constantly walking onto the stage meddling in it and trying to author them constantly and then you know that's kind of a nice Sort of symbolic of how how what uh, what she might you know what the film's trying to say about her as a person I suppose isn't it mm. which, which is she wants to be the star really 
which is kind of all all stage mums are vicariously living through their children, aren't they? Often. That's you... the thing. It's um, that's why this film is so much not about the titular character, because it's um, her mum was such a large presence in her life that she didn't really have a life to talk about. Yeah, it's it's all focused on what my mum did, what she put us through, what we dealt with. But I think that's sort of what the the whole film and piece is about, isn't it, in a way? So I don't know whether hmm. to say it was a mistake or the point. Do you know what I mean? But what did you, Abby, what did you think of Rose as a character? Uh, you know, maybe the performance, if you want, but like, because she's very grating... So I was when I watched it, I was like, "Did I, you put this forward, Abby? Don't you just fucking hate this kind of thing?" Mm. I think it's. Uh, what, should I give you my reasoning for for putting it over? Because you asked me a couple of, you touched on a few different things there all at once. You go for it. I should say, the crackling in the background. Anthony has a roaring fire going, so that's what <laughs> the tippy tapping of the crackly noise in the background is. BT dubs. Or is it raining? No, that's the fire. Oh, they do sound yeah. rather similar in this in this room. <laughs> anyway, Abby, please go on. On the one hand, you've got uh, it's a biopic, and they always kick up weird stuff. Uh, on the other hand, there's a sort of like liberal women's thing going on, but then it's intention with a lot of old values. So, like, for example, the song she does in her... in the in the Seattle home about not wanting to just, like, be one of those boring people who sits in their living room and wanting to be independent. But then there's this whole song about how she should be married. And mm. that's an interesting tension. And then... It is just sort of like a psychological study of a really fucked up relationship as well. Yeah, there's definitely some interesting stuff uh, brought up throughout the film. It's just, um, it's good that you mentioned those things because there are many sides to her and many factors to this film. So, like you say, there's an element of, yeah, at this time, women striving to be different and fighting their own corner. It's like, it's positive to see, oh, like, Rose is going after this. She's trying to get her kids into the industry. She's, you know, working as hard as she can. She's cutting corners and saving money wherever she can, exploiting those nearest and dearest to her if she can. So she's a bad character, but she has, you know, you're kind of rooting for her in terms of a woman succeeding in a man's world. And... Mm. Like, but then she's she's an awful mum. But then she's a she's sort of still a loving mum because she's doing it for her kids, sort of. But she's also exploiting them and ignoring what they might want. And so she's like deluded as well. So it's like a really weird, like for every positive thing about her, there's a flip and like the reverse, and you go, oh, but she's terrible. Like <laughs> she's an awful, yeah. awful person, but she's a nice person. And she's struggling, and like it's like she's a positive person. She's always putting a spin on on every bad situation they're in. She sort of, you know, hikes up her skirt and de- determined is determined to make the best of it and move on with a new plan, rehash everything that's gone wrong, and and make it work. So she's feisty, and she has a go get 'em attitude, and is positive, 
and yet is mentally ill. It's a very no nuanced role, yes, and I think I think she plays it very well. Like, cause it like it could be very easy to have been either really annoyingly energetic or just obviously terrible mm. as as a character, and and I think the balance is is kept very well all the way through. Yeah, is it um, what's her name, Rosalind Russell, or something like that? Is that right? The actress. Let me check. Yes, Rosalind Russell. I like her. Like, I think she's mm-hmm. correct for the role. The role is irritating as fuck, and some of the jokes. It felt like um, it felt like a very masculine script at times. Like the the comedy in it feels very, you know witty jokes and banter from like the like 60s a little bit but it felt like it felt like kind of vaudevillian dialogue at times and i you know screwball screwball comedy yeah it did it didn't feel like it, it felt like it felt authored by men it, it felt that but i felt like you know i liked how rosalind played it and i liked her i thought she was good i thought she looked you know, she stole the scenes appropriately and played mm. the character as it needed to be played. And uh, I didn't really think, oh, shit, she's bad at singing or good at singing, even if it wasn't her. Like, that didn't make, that didn't factor into my, you know, feelings on her. Like, so I, I thought, like, fair play. And also, I mean, we've got to give it to, um, was it, was it uh, Natalie something? Natalie Wood is the main. Yes. She plays the girl most of the time, not the youngest girl, right? Obviously, she's fucking tiny, but like, she, yeah. the, 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 I, this is what, this is how good she is. Natalie Wood, I didn't realize there weren't, like, a, I didn't realize she played the teenage girl as well as the adult woman, you know? That's how convinced, I was like, oh, there must have been a, a middle actor in there somewhere. No, she somehow, with her hair short and framed properly in the right, in the rights of dowdy, girly clothes, uh, <laughs> could look incredibly different and much older depending on when they need her in the story, you know? I think she was in those like cow legs for a lot of <laughs> that um, that time. Stick someone in cow legs, you're going to make them look adolescent. <laughs> <laughs> and her hat, I think it was her hat that did a lot of the job. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, but the you know the youngest little kid who would have played yeah. the character was was well actually the when the like um, baby June is it and uh, mm-hmm. Louise when they're like they they have to act as a stage show, but they also have to to act as the children of an overbearing mother, and they were a little bit... uh, It was a little bit weird. I don't know if it... But it's meant to be funny, isn't it? But they weren't natural, were they? They weren't, you know... They weren't the the best. What do you guys think? They... That's... It's a lot of... uh, It was a lot to ask of two young girls to do. Like, there's a lot going on for them. Like you said, like they have to both be playing the part of like you know the singing, dancing girls, but then also have to be the daughters as well. And I think that's a lot. That's a big ask for two young actresses. So I think they you hold f- their own. What impressed me the most was that the the little the young Louise, Diane Pace. She had to act like she couldn't act. Mm, that's true. A lot of the time, 
this whole film relies on people pretending they're not good, which is weird. Like this, this film really suffers from that actually because you've got Louise acting like you know she's a character that's not supposed to have a talent for acting, singing, and dancing. So all of her dancing has to be deliberately out of time. So that's like fair play. Like I think you know what. The the girl who played Baby June and the the girl who played Louise, they both did a good job of the routines. They nailed the routines as they were supposed to, and then they had mm. to do the comedy. And they were like, they did they, like it's like Anthony said, they did they had to do a fucking lot. So me criticizing them of the odd line read being a bit weird. They they were they had to fucking hit a lot of marks. There mm. a lot of rehearsing had to be done, and they, they you know I, I don't want to criticize them, uh, but I, I really think once you know t- a bit of time passes. I thought Natalie Wood was just fucking really like likable, and at the same time, she has to act like she can't act. Like that's mm. the thing is, she she has no talent for singing and dancing, so she sort of makes the garments for the cost. She makes the costumes, and that's sort of one of her talents. You think they'd work that in as like, oh, so then she made it as a fashion designer? No, no, no. That's too that's too uplifting and fine. She has to obviously mm-hmm. sort of prostitute herself in some way, but um. So she, when she makes a transition to a, like a, a singer herself or a dancer or whatever you want, or a burlesque stripper, she has to be bad at singing for a bit and then get a bit better at it. And three of the women who are burlesque dancers that sort of give them give the idea of becoming a burlesque act substance, they all have to do as there's like a song they all sing like three ladies they all sing about their gimmicks they have as strippers. And they all have to oh. be—they all have to be bad, and it's just like, how the fuck does a musical have so many deliberately bad songs? <laughs> and, oh, and of course, Rose at the end singing, she has to not be that talented because then she could have just fucking made it herself. So, in a way, you could suggest the mum shouldn't sing sing very well. So, what the fuck are you doing, <laughs> film? <laughs> have some good singing in it, yeah. There was, there was unfortunately a general lack of really good singing in this musical, which is unfortunately kind of the only thing you need. But they wrote themselves into a corner, though, didn't they? Mm. <laughs> but I, I did think... like the stripper bit, though. Well, we'll get to that soon, I suppose. I just thought that it was the stuff that was done for comedy and didn't work. There was nothing you could do about. Because obviously that woman's voice, the, the but I do it with a horn. Uh, <laughs> that that was that was meant to be funny, when really it was just somewhat frightening. <laughs> yeah, you, you, it doesn't cross over into like cringe comedy either. It's just oh god, oh, I'm I, being assaulted. I don't, I don't know. I think in years to come, that is the scene that we're all going to remember from this film. Is that scene with the really the hoarse sounding trumpeting stripper and the one that lights up like a Christmas tree? Like yeah. that's what you're going to remember, really, isn't it? Because I... honestly, I've I've forgotten the songs already from this this film. Yeah, um, we should we will talk about this element. We could you know pause on this a bit because it is worth talking about. As Anthony says, it is the more memorable bit and. Essentially, you know, later on in the in the narrative, uh, Louise and her mum 
uh, sort of accidentally booked into a burlesque club with a bunch of uh, young little girls as backing singers, and it's all a bit, oh no, this is the appropriate sort of act for this kind of seedy burlesque club. And so, you know, Louise is left to to herself briefly. Her mum is mercifully out of the scene. And uh, three uh, slightly different ladies who do, you know, stripper acts are in their costumes sort of explaining and selling the idea that if you're going to make it in burlesque, you have to have a gimmick, whether it's, uh, you know, a butt-shaking butterfly lady, a light-up Christmas tree, or a, was it, like a Roman uh, soldier trumpeter? Herald? Herald? Yeah, Yeah. like like a Greek heralding, like, angel god thing. Yeah, and have, like, deliberately common accents that like, like mm. clang nicely with and don't and like like we kind of mentioned they don't sing professionally because their you know their talent isn't singing their talent is you know wearing funny outfits and taking their clothes off a bit so it is kind of a great scene because it stands out and it it's mm. the, the very concept of going from oh maybe we can move out of variety and vaudeville and maybe there is an opportunity for uh, Louise to become a burlesque dancer, if she can, you know, think of something to make her stand out, isn't it? Well, Abby, you, you, are you a big fan of this bit, even though it has some of the worst singing in it? It is one of the most dynamic. Mm. They move around a lot. There's lights, there's swirling, there's noise. And it's the one that I remembered from being from when I was young. So I sort of have, an, a, not a nostalgia per se, because I didn't remember it that much. And just, but it its familiarity made me slightly more comfortable. Yeah, and it certainly comes at a time where, like the the film needed a like a kick, and this certainly provided it. Yeah, you, you almost it's nice because most of the film, uh, the unwholesome character, I guess, is Rose. Like, so Rose is a hustler, and uh, you know she's forceful, and it's all about her. She's all about her travelling, you know, on a budget, on a shoestring, around the country, forcing her daughters to practice and rehearse. And they, they pick up uh, uh, backing dancers. So there's, there's some young boys for a while. And then later on, there's some young girls that are the backing dancers to essentially Baby Rose, who is this young blonde singing, all singing, all dancing, little, you know, star of the show. That's the idea anyway. And so... It's all about her being the one who's, you know, cheating hotels out, out of money, skimping on what, what she pays these boys if she pays them at all, you know, st- stealing cutlery from hotel uh, from restaurants. Um, you know, so in she... that sense, she was awful. <laughs> you know, like, there's a good bit. There's some good bits, but she's a ter- as a person as a person, fucking awful. But as a hustler, you gotta admire her. As- ability to make up a song on the spot and like the the scene where uh she sings to that uh, was it like a potentially a, um someone with connections in the theater industry or something that gold is it goldstein or goldstone or something goldstone so i mean i, w- I want to talk about that scene because it's one of the best bits of comedy and it's like it's quite a busy sort of scene but like rose is the bad character and she is the seedy part of what is, you know, a sweet variety act with children in. And then it's the, the sort of 
the demon, the slightly demonized um, burlesque show people who it's, it's like a sleazy business where it's just about titillation and just get out there, do your thing. We just need, you know, meat in brass, don't we? You know, like that that's kind of the transition where it goes from oh rose isn't as bad because she has standards and morals and wants her children not to be in this industry she wants the old vaudevillian respected ways to be how her children rise to stardom you know so it's you know it's a critical moment in the film hmm. uh but yeah if we do rewind back maybe we can talk about rose hustling people abby you, you suggested she's mm. an awful person do you think there's any redeeming features to her sort of scampy ways I'm more well no I think see what really turned me against her in, in that particular facet was when she stole that plaque from her dad mm. that, was, that was over the line that was nice yeah we get a bit of background I guess uh, Rose and the kids uh, they, they meet up with this um, this guy who was playing a Scottish stereotype part of a variety thing and he's selling like um butter fingers or whatever the chocolate bar is to some bloke at a fucking what were they at like a hotel or something a theater, I think it's, yeah it's another theater that um rose turns up to try and get her kids booked into right yeah and she basically helps this guy out she's she joins in with some of the banter about how awesome this chocolate is and he's grateful and they sort of they they sort of hit it off because They've helped hustle the situation together, and so what? Actually, what is the name of this bloke? Once he's not a weird Scottish comedy act, Herbie. Herbie, mm. right? So Herbie becomes the sort of boyfriend slash love interest of Rose, and it's because they hit it off, and he's like, you know, he's basically willing to just um, marry her and like raise a, a normal family if she wants to, but the whole point of the film is she doesn't want that. She's, she'd rather struggle on with her dream to make her children into vaudeville stars, right? Yeah, they set they set that up like with with the song that Abby mentioned before, where she's singing how, you know, she doesn't want to have the boring old life where it's the same it's day in day out, and that's what he's kind of offering. Um, it's just even though it's a comfortable life, he'd be the one working and she'd be home, and you know, raising the kids. And it's set up quite early that that's really not what she wants from life. Well, what I found a bit odd about that as a, as a element was, so Herbie's a nice guy all the way through. He's very supportive and he helps them. And he's willing to let them see, you know, their dreams through. If it can happen, he's willing to be there. And he's patient and he, he likes Rose. And we see them get on enough and they get each other. And he's not that put off by the fact that she's like got loads of ex-husbands and things. And so, you know, he is a nice husband and, and is supportive, but there's this assumption, I guess it's of the time, where as soon as you're married, you're a housewife now, fucking in the house mm. you go. Which, it's like, well, can't you marry each other and then she can keep being like a stage mom? Like, it's almost like an unspoken thing of, well, it's the 1920s, Rich, so if we're married, she literally is peeling cards till, uh, till she's fucking dead. Do you know what I mean? Like, even though I'm a nice guy, that's how that works. You have to live in the house now. It's, he doesn't quite put it like that. His objective is in part for the sake of the girls. He's always saying, like, we'll all live together. The girls will go to school. We'll live happily together. 
And it is sort of implied that she'll become a housewife or whatever. But I really think he just wants them to just stop moving on and... Living like gypsies? Yeah, this drifter Mm. life. Yeah, it's like he's the more caring parent, even though he's not their father. As a stepfather or stepdad type figure, he can see that the girls would benefit if she just fucking chills out a bit, isn't it, really? I was also really pleased that he kept saying that the girls should be going to school. I was like, yes, they fucking should be going to school. Yeah, they're going to be illiterate uh, (laughs) idiots by the end, if not. I mean, you know, if you've got looks, you could dance. It's it's enough, right? That's what the film also tells us. Um, Mm. So it's such an interesting element. It's almost like, oh, why are we even doing this as a a musical? Make it a drama. This is the fucking. This is the story here. This interesting relationship where it's about a, a mum driven like beyond the point of rash, rational behaviour at times. I think the the key moment where you see, oh, this guy Herbie is is fairly grounded and sane. He's willing to pursue things, but he has the interests of his loved ones, like you know, his essentially adopted children and his and his uh, sort of not quite fiance girlfriend thing. He cares about them, so he wants them to be okay, and he can see, you know, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. When you have, like, when Baby June gets, like, cast to, like, she has a successful audition, and the backing, the boys who they've acquired, thanks to Herbie's, like, connections, he gets a bunch of young men who can dance. Uh, So they're, they're not needed, and Louise isn't needed, and importantly, Rose isn't going to get any sort of financial benefit from the gig essentially is it baby june is gonna get to go to acting school and learn to become a proper like musical star is that right yeah essentially she'll be she'll get like training from the top kind of like is it i think it's broadway at this point isn't it like producer yeah i think so based on the venue they were in yeah to do do, proper I'd say proper, but like to get out of vaudeville and become like a more serious actress. It's but because, but because like Rose can't can't be a part of that, she refuses. Yeah, and she she is you know sacrificing an opportunity that her daughter literally says in the film that she wants, and everyone the writing's on the wall. Like you know, this is a good opportunity. No one, no like Louise doesn't give a fuck. The boys were always considered a non-factor by Rose anyway. So no one's missing out, and yet, because Rose feels like she's being left... If anything, if she'd have realised that Louise was talented in some way, she could have been like, oh great, that's one kid sorted, and she could then focus on Louise. That You could be like, that's your job now, Rose. You and Louise get a gimmick going. You know, think of... And then you we got, you got one daughter sorted. It's a very frustrating element of the film, because it really makes Rose out to be a complete fucking bitch who just is, you know, a tyrant, I there's, guess. There's also a mental health issue because she's um, she's genuinely in denial that her children are getting older. She's yeah. deliberately infantilising them. And that's fucked. It's fucked up. Yeah, it's probably the, it's most, the most fucked up because she shows her true colours, which is... This has to be about me. I have to have control and be a part of the show. I have to do something. I have to be paid. I have to be paid some money. I have to have attention in some way. And yeah, this is this is the first point where 
Because up until this point, she's been very much like, this is all about the girls, this is for their future, this is all about them. And this is kind of like the first kind of major test that she has where it's like, oh, well, it's uh, it's about me, really. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it has to be my way or the highway. And that, that's mm. the problem. And, that, you know, it's it's it makes it uh, all the more acceptable when, um, I guess, what, what happens is they, they sort of, are for, like the mum doesn't accept the deal, and they're forced to keep touring the vaudeville scene as best they can. Uh, this is one of the weird things, actually. The they keep rejigging the concept a little bit, but fundamentally, uh, you know, little cute blonde girl does a singing dancing act. There was the backing dancer boys and Louise, who plays often, you know, either fucking Uncle Sam or one of the boys, or like a paper boy or a fucking half a cow or whatever. <laughs> like the act is shit. Like, who the fuck wants to watch a little girl? You know, unless they're fucking catering to paedophiles and watching a little girl sing and dance in weird costumes is your thing. Like, I could not be... I would. This is the pee brick of any fucking show. When a bunch of little kids come on singing and dancing and it's not really about anything. Oh, just fuck off. What did you guys make of the act they actually perform all the time? Well, the thing that bothered me is they kept just giving it different costumes, but doing the same act over and over again. It's such a shit act. Like, it's not, it's like, oh, it's <laughs> just dancing in a line with some cutesy bullshit lyrics. And it's just like, this isn't anything, guys. I don't, even if you're newsboys, I don't give a fuck. If you've got a fucking farmyard and there's a cow. Like, they get a lot of shit out of the cow. Like, not literally. They, uh, <laughs> they you know, th- there's this weird thing. Actually, it's kind of a funny point where Rose keeps having these dreams about a cow talking to her and then the cow's like, put me in the act and you'll have success. So they, she rejigs this dance routine to feature like a farmyard and, a, and a, like a cow costume with two people in. And so, obviously, Louise ends up being in the cow because she's a fucking useless uh, pile of others herself you know like so she she has the shit the shit daughter could be in the stupid comedy costume thing like it's just it doesn't it's just not it's not ever good as an act and it I don't know if that's meant to be that way or if it's just vaudeville was a bit shit but um I just thought I can't keep what like another thing oh it's a musical and we keep seeing the same routine refigured oh I want to die because <laughs> that's the thing it made sense in the actual real life terms of a touring band of knobheads <laughs> it's fine that they would same act over and over again in different venues across the country as a film not as fun yeah <laughs> I think they, they show it partially so they can do montages of over the time over time, obviously, the kid actors get older and older. They become gangly teens. They start to lose the cute look and start to be, like, not able to pass as young enough and cute enough. Not that the not that the concept is so brilliant it needs small children, just that this kind of business isn't going to work any longer. They have to not just change the gimmick, but change... Like, you could almost say, oh, now that they're, like, teenagers or adults, but on a different type of routine like mm. that's how they should have reinvented themselves i guess um but you know obviously the point of the film is rose is missing the fact that her daughters will grow up and you know change who they are both personality wise and what they want to do with their lives but also can't just stay in the same mode as before so it works like keep showing us the same routine we see them be longer taller you know 
become teenagers or young adults or whatever. So you know, it's a, I guess that's why it's important to do the same fucking shit all the time. Uh but what's you know, we 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 don't get that much fleshed out with the boys. They all they are background characters. Uh, two of them mm. are significant. One is called Tulsa because I guess he's from Tulsa. He actually has like a singing dancing routine bit. Uh, that kind of goes nowhere. Like he dances yeah. and sings <laughs> to show, like with like in a backstage alleyway bit. There's like a, a suggestion that Louise might be falling in love with him, and he's sort of talking about what his aspirations are to be a singing, dancing solo guy or something. And he's obviously missing the fact that she's falling in love, and it's just to like sort of be another bump in the road where she, yeah, he didn't give a fuck about her, and that, that's not happening. He totally yeah. friend-zoned her. He did friend-zone oh. her. Yeah, and the scene was... It was a nice idea. Like, um, he was he was dancing a routine on his own and then describing the other half of the routine. And, like, on paper, that sounds like a nice idea. But really, what was happening was the scene was happening and he was describing a better scene and it went on very long. And yeah, like you said, it didn't really fit in with the rest of the film. It it was just trying to show us that Louise obviously could jump in and be that second partner for him, and he's missing that opportunity. And we're, but we're also missing out on the opportunity to see a kind of romantic dance. Like I don't know. Like it was partly this is the comedy. He's missing the opportunity to hook up with her, and he, she's not of interest to him because she's not conventionally. Uh, attractive slash talented or whatever they're going for. So, you know, and then shortly after they start to establish the boy characters, because until now they're just, you know, background comedy bits, uh, they all fuck off because times have changed. Nothing, they haven't took off. Vaudeville's got of, Vaudeville's going downhill and the boys are too old and the girls are sick of it and they've maybe June could have had the opportunity, she didn't. And so they all decide we're fucking going and they convince Herbie to, you know, let them go their separate ways and have their train tickets and I think off camera uh June and one of the other boys have got married and left a letter to say, Mum, fuck you, goodbye. Yes. And there's a bit of a scene where like it establishes that she's already like thirteen years old and she's running off with a seventeen year old. But then... then it's okay because in that state, they still have laws saying you could get married when you're 12. So that's fine then. Yay, we've had uh, so a dance routine that's for paedophiles and then paedophilia okayed by this film. So and yet because awful. of the situation June's in, it's like you can't help but be like, well, good for her. And yet it's still a bit weird yeah, because she's yeah. very young. She, It's almost like Oh, she's 13. I thought the reveal was going to be, actually, we've pretended she's 13. Actually, she's like 16 or something. I mm. thought it was going to be that the mum had hidden their... There was an idea that the age of these kids was ambiguous. And therefore, no one realised that she was that old because she keeps hiding the fact that they're growing older. And she just is a baby-faced girl. But no, good old state that they're in allows 13-year-old girls to get married. It's fine. Uh... You know, it's like it's quite a fucking drawn out scene as well. It's a bit long at the station where they there's a lot of back and forth arguing about tickets and what they're going to do next and things. 
Yeah, and I think that's maybe why you had a bit of an issue with like the set because they do linger on that set for a long time. Well, it's not. That's one of the the weirder sets because you've got a kind of like, um, you've got like a background which kind of like extends off into the distance, which is very well. This is clearly not real life. Yeah, no fucking trains turning up to this matte painting. Yeah, and they do kind of stay on that scene for a long time. Yeah. Um, and I do have I have mixed feelings about this scene because it's one of the more memorable ones. Yeah. Because. It actually has. It actually contains the probably the song that I remember some of the lyrics from. Oh yeah. Because um, I think it's the one you sang at the beginning, um, and it actually has some emotional weight to it. Because when when June leaves, like uh, Rose, actually quite affected by it for a long time, and it's the first time you really see her not being loud and brash and energetic, and she, you know, just kind of sitting there. Almost catatonic with the reaction to the news that one of her star daughter has run away. Mm. And then you know it kind of leads into probably like one, like I said, like the more memorable song of the film. But then it's just one shot of her just kind of singing it there, and I, I see what they're going for because it's a kind of it's an upbeat song, but it's supposed to come at a time where everything's going wrong and you and you've got like Herbie and like Louise in the background looking sad and kind of like oh you like uh, you know we see the subtext of this song kind of thing hmm. but i don't know the whole thing doesn't quite work and it's really disappointing for me yeah maybe you want to separate out the boys leaving from the whole realization that your daughter is going to run away as well Mm, I don't maybe. Know. Abby, what do you make of this? Did you think it was important to sort of have Rose go through this high what we're going to do energy to becoming catatonic and then having the, <laughs> like, it's okay, I could put all my hopes on Louise now or whatever? Psychologically speaking, it's very interesting. But mm. like Anthony was saying, it's how much of this stuff is coming over on film, you know? Yeah. Like a lot, if you were doing this now, this would be a gritty tragedy. You'd, you'd almost be tempted to have the music just be something that happens in the theatre and have it be, you know, more of a kitchen sink thing. Mm. So for it to have this weird tone where she's... She's this really... Not a positive energy, but because she's the driving energy, you are obliged to be on her side. And because she reconciles with... Uh, gypsy at the end even though they never really fell out then you're still like this isn't fine but I guess it's fine because you're happy it's it's an odd one because Herbie and Louise I still love this one despite her many many flaws and delusions and they they want her to be happy they don't want her to just give up on her dreams either like you know they've lost like they might you know they don't know what's happened to uh, June, in a real sense, I mean, you know, they could potentially meet up and correspond, but she's flown the nest. Like she's not even going to be living with them now. It'll be Louise and Rose and Herbie who, if they, you know, end up living together. Um, so you know, it's it's a big deal to lose your sister and or your daughter or whatever. And 
So, you know, but it's it's they all sort of end up just turning to try and cheer Rose up rather than thinking about the person who's left and trying to get them back. It's like, oh, we can try, but oh, we won't get anywhere. You know, so it shows them to be loving, dolting people. And that's kind of a sh- one of the shame with as a story. It's kind of it kind of sucks that Louise, even towards the end, where they're like, "Oh, Louise has actually lost her patience and moved on with her life." She hasn't, so it's okay because mm. she's just this endlessly dolting and accepting daughter who puts up with this overbearing bitch woman. Um, but you know, it's 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 important and compelling, but yeah, not uh, not without its. Uh, Hard to get through bits, I suppose. It's just, it's just upsetting for me. Like all the way through, just, just the execution of some of the scenes just isn't quite right. Yeah, it's, it's like uh, it needs another go around or something. Um, but anyway, like, actually, what the, let's not. I don't want to just be negative. One of the things I wanted to talk about before this stuff was how awesome and funny and genuinely good. I thought the scene where they they were like uh, they were all a bit younger. They're all living in one hotel room. The guy who owns the hotel is like pissed off because it's like for some reason a monkey is there's like (laughs) like uh, like five or six little boys, two little girls, this woman. I don't know who's what they think's pay how many heads they're supposed to be paying rent for. But Rose's menagerie is in here. But there's also a lamb, a fucking monkey, a parrot. What else is there? Like, there's a birthday cake? No, I lost my list. I lost okay. I lost oh. my list of her presents. Let me try and remember them. It was a it was a catcher's mitt and ball stolen. It was a cardboard fish, because the fish he tried to steal, he got caught. It was a box with nothing in it. A lamb. That's pretty good. And I'm lamb. sure there was something else. But it was ted- such a random a fucking list. It's just such a random fucking selection of shit that she got for her birthday. Yeah, they kind of they want to set the tone of the family a little bit, isn't it? And it's Louise's birthday in this hotel room, and you know they get her a cake and make no big deal about like the fact that we don't know how old she is. And um, yeah, all the all the boys are too cheap. Oh no, they're not too cheap. They're not paid, so they don't have any money. So they have to steal all these weird gifts or make them. And it's just to set up this little family idea and show that basically the idea of a good birthday is like uh, heated up Chinese food um, that they bought previously. And so I like the little family environment they have when they're en masse in this hotel room. But it is like, again, a lamb and a monkey are in this scene. As well as like, so Herbie comes in, he's got like a producer, like some sort of producer or guy who can help them out in to get onto Broadway, and the hotel manager, and a bunch of fucking guests explode into the room, because there's so much fighting and singing and dancing going on. And it's all kind of about, like, it kind of kicks off that Rose has got too many people in this room, and they haven't paid enough money for all the people in there, and they have livestock in there. And so she has to, like, fake that she's being raped and sing a song about <laughs> it, and, like... And then they're trying to... They're, they're all, I don't know if it's all in the same thing, but, like, they're trying to coax this, uh, I guess, producer to think of them fondly and put them in a show, right? 
and it's like the that brilliant routine where they're like all the boys and the two girls all join in with this fucking we love you Mr. Goldstone and there's like a list of all these brilliant stones that aren't as good as him <laughs> and there's and he's like getting handed breakfast and tea and egg rolls and being pampered and treated like a king and they're all sort of you know interacting around each other it's all like it's pre-choreographed by Rose but any any man that comes in that can offer them money they all do a routine about it and it's I, I kind of like that I thought it was a really funny bit you know yes Yes, Rich, you're right. It, it was a good bit, wasn't it? <laughs> it? It was. It was a good. It was good. Um, I, I don't want to slip into the negative though, but it's like if that was on stage, it would look exactly the same. I think, and, and that's kind of my problem. That's kind of that's that's where it should have been like the most dynamic. You should have had like close-ups of like people's heads popping out of things, and. Um, you know, it should have been all over the place. It should have been as manic as all the things going on. I think, and yet, for me, it was still frustratingly static. I, I don't agree with it needing to be any better. Because it was so many little boys to choreograph going around, they're all singing and harmonising and handing things. and rea- They all have... like it's, it, There's a lot of people to direct in terms of the comedy reactions. Everyone has to, like, all the boys have to react to the moment. And I, I looked at most of them. I think maybe uh, Baby June was not just, just doing her best to sing and not reacting like everyone else was. But I felt like it, it worked. And yes, it would, it, it would, it looked like a play, but it looked like a good play. That was like a complicated bit to get right. And they've also, I think, I don't know if Louise has gone off on her own and is. I don't know, like, she sort of fucked off with the lamb and has taken mm. it to sing to in a different segment to show, look, she's the the sad one who has different aspirations that will never come to anything because she will also be a star. Fuck that. But um, They also, another thing that they didn't really make a thing of, she literally doesn't know how old she is. Yeah, and doesn't have any friends. She has to, but she's happy to talk to a fish and a, a was it a cockerel, like a wind-up cockerel? musical cockerel thing yes that was the other gift it was a musical chicken so she has a worn out teddy bear a cock a fake fish necklace an actual lamb those and an empty box for the potential for something nice to go in yeah that was what a happened nice birthday. to the lamb they slaughtered it and ate it with the rest <laughs> of the just food it shouldn't they have did. become they did it shouldn't they have did. become it should have become a part of the farm act, shouldn't it? Like a, that, yeah, they get a cow suit and have the lamb come on, and at some point the lamb is too old; it's mutton, and it's that's past what, it. That's what I thought was going to happen. Like it was going to be presented to Louise as a gift, but really it was for the stage show. Yeah, but that that didn't really happen. No, there's quite a few little jokes that are like. So they have this thing where Rose is particularly into Chinese food. And it comes up occasionally, and then like when they're in a restaurant, like she always they, she, when she has food, it's basically Chinese food, and she likes to steal from the Chinese restaurant and and just like but it doesn't really there's not much to it other than this this through line of a joke. But there's a few things like that that sort of characters that turn up interact and then don't feature in the end. You know, there's there's moments that feel like they were just in there because we. We thought of some comedy ideas we could do in that one bit, and then fuck it, we never mind. Mm, a little bit, yeah. I don't want to be too negative, like you said, um, 
you know, it was, you know, I suppose it was as dynamic a scene as any of in the film. But I'm just, you know, at some point during the film, I feel like I've seen actual stage shows that have been filmed on stage with more, like, dynamicism than some of the scenes, especially some of the musical scenes in this film. Dynamicism, is that a word? <laughs> it is now. Yeah. yeah maybe so. I, the, the the main thing I would take away from this film, and we ha- we will talk a little bit about the end, but it does, it's very quick, the ending, in a way. And I think that's, actually, mm. my point is, the first half, very, very bloated. We have a lot of, you know, it's good to develop depth to the characters and things, even though the boys kind of get shortchanged there. Even Baby June, really. Like, they they show mm. love between the sisters, but she doesn't have a personality, per se. But It's a shame she doesn't come back at some point for some sort of... Like, to um, see Gypsy live or something. Some sort of, I don't know, climax or conclusion to that. Yeah. This is what I mean, though. The first bit, bloated, long-winded, we mm. really fucking... Yeah, we get it. They travel the country and squander opportunities and are struggling and get just barely getting by and have a dream, but it's, you know, it's the mum's deluded, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, it gets to the critical moment where it's just basically, you know, Rose and uh, Louise and then a few talking little girls that have replaced the little boys. And it's about the transition from, oh, actually, maybe, you know, Louise could be a burlesque dancer, not a vaudeville performer, because she can't do that. But she's attractive and older and sexy and has a vavavoom and an ability to make costumes. She can be a burlesque act and be a success. Yes, she can. She's a star. Wait, 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 wait. Now it's interesting. You're ending the film. What's going on? You know, like all that fat at the beginning. And then you leave us with a tiny, like, section at the end where we find out that Louise could slowly. Like, they do a montage showing Louise trying it out, being shit. And then slowly getting better, and also slowly showing more clothes and getting better at it, but also, you know, bearing more of herself and becoming, you know, it's like, it's not just, I'm a sexy lady, goodbye, I'm going to show you my shoulder, my arm. It's suddenly like, you know, oh, look, I'm going to show a proper glance at my, uh, you know, underwear, you know? What, what, Abby, did you like the transition she made from, you know, drab background girl to, you know, burlesque dancer? <laughs> I'm about to do an inception speculation in the sense I'm going to be speculating on the book, which was turned into a play, which was oh, turned into a screenplay. Not speculate about the book <laughs> slash the play and stuff. Don't never. Let's not do it. Let's not assume that the book or the play did it better. Just say what you think would have been better. But I'm not going to do it in the the, the way that you think. The way that the film pans out. Makes me wonder why they did the original adaptation to begin with, other than it's a bit salacious that she was in burlesque, because there isn't actually that much of a story, because it's just a bit like... The bit that's the story, I suppose, is that uh, June left, and then Louise became a burlesque dancer. And they do cover those two points, there's so much other stuff in there. It, they sort of drown it out. And it's like, why did you elect to do it this way? And like Anthony was saying about the 
way that it was filmed and all of that stuff was very... It was only a couple of steps removed from a direct filming of a play. Mm. And it just seems like, what were people going for here? Because even in the play, I can't say... As a play, I can't imagine it being any more compelling in the layout that the film has. If they did it differently, great. I can see it working. But as it is here, you missed the point of the story several times. Yeah, it's not about what is it like for a bunch of poor people trying to make it in the industry of vaudeville. What the story is, is so you drive one daughter away, the other daughter is a compromise, and she can't succeed at what you want, but you know, it's about the mum coming round to the idea that burlesque is an option. Louise never really says, like, oh, I don't feel like I want to do this. It's always like, like she's a positive character. She's willing to try and do what it takes to make money for the family to survive. And if that means, you know, stepping in, like, you know, one burlesque dancer is injured or not there or not turned up or whatever. And so she's like, oh, I, I can do this. We need the money. We're here anyway. And then we're all going to go home and get... You're going to get married, Mum. We're just going to have a... It's fine. I'll do it for the money. We need it. She's positive and does this... She stands in and she she starts becoming a burlesque dancer just because the opportunity's there. And she's not that good. And her mum is still trying to, you know, shout from the, the wings how to hit. And she kind of fucking needs to because she just stands there like a dimwit in the first um, part of the montage. But then the interesting part is, right, so... Once Louise becomes given, she's given the name Gypsy, uh, Gypsy Rose Lee by the sort of other burlesque ladies. They sort of come up with it as like when they're naturally talking about the idea that she could become a burlesque dancer, singer, whatever. And so, okay, now you've got the interesting bit. What's it like to become a burlesque dancer? The other burlesque ladies that you've, like she becomes a bigger star than them. Is there a rivalry? Is is there any jealousy backstage? Is it difficult to make it? Do you get loads of lecherous people coming? Are, are your fans to loving you, or is it actually quite a creepy world still? Like she she seems like her life is brilliant. Like she has a maid, she has a publicist. She's like in magazines. She's becomes a massive star and a celebrity. But how does that compare to other celebrities? They like, don't find out any of this shit. We just get a sh- we've shown a bit. Of like, oh, she's a star. The mum is forgotten about slightly, and is like a is like a joke. Like, oh, don't let the gypsy's mum be backstage, and she's like still barging in and trying to control her daughter's life. But keep going, film. Now let's see what actually being a burlesque singer is like. And a montage doesn't really cut it. Oh, I see. She shows more, and her her songs become a little more saucy and clever and provocative. And show more legs and boobs and things, but fucking what the hell? The drama is here at the end. Why are we not mm. doing that? Yeah, I agree. I, I I think the end of the film is both kind of the best part, but also frustratingly, like it could be so much more. Because I, my my favorite scene is is right at the end. Um, and it's just before she's um, going to do her first burlesque. And um, Herbie has finally convinced Rose to kind of give it all up um, and to marry him. And um, But she says, uh, you know, wait until the end. Let's finish, let's finish this last bit first. 
That's finished the uh, run at then... the at the burlesque show, isn't it? Mm. And and then you know we'll get it we'll get it done. So it's like the final day. Herbie's there. He's got like he's got the bouquet. He's ready to bloody just whisk her off to a church right then and there, and get married. And she seems all for it, but you kind of know, like in the back of her mind, she's she's trying to find something to keep it going. And then when when she does, when it find when it it turns out like the star like burlesque performer has like been arrested or something I, I, I forget yeah um like she just immediately just essentially just pimps out her child yeah to um and and she's you know she sees something nothing wrong with it but then I, I like the drama then the psychology behind that is like how much of this is her not thinking about herself and how much of it is her trying to stave off marriage um yeah, it's like then... she, it's, she's addicted to this showbiz lifestyle and she almost is resigning herself to marriage and accepting it when that last one more chance to seek stardom via her daughter. And so it's like, this is her drug. This is the thing she can't give up. She doesn't want to be humdrum. So she'll take anything, even if it means her daughter lowers herself to a sort of striptease act. Fuck it! I still let's do that, you know. Like, and that's really sad and poetic. And the fact that Hervey's groveling and and so like this is the last straw. It's it's really good. It's a powerful, you know, story to tell. Yeah, and there's just there's just there's so much going on in that scene. There's there's her, you know, her, her relationship with like her daughter, and like how how Louise responds to. To her, like just going like just just once, let's go out like as a star, mm. and kind of like degrading herself in at least in her eyes, um, to it. But then you also have like the relationship with the uh, Rose and Herbie, and how heartbreaking it is because he's he does he still at this point still doesn't want to leave her, but knows it's his only option. Yeah. Um, and then both of them kind of. Well, yeah, and both of them like resigned to the fact that it has to happen, and you know he like he doesn't want to leave. And the song she sings when he's gone, and then I just I just love like just there's so much emotion and drama and things going on in that in that scene that I, like I think it's like the strongest part. But the thing that really kind of upsets me is how I feel like it then after this. It misses the whole point of all that drama. Yeah, because that because then you have um, Louise coming out, and she kind of looks in the mirror. It's like, oh, I am beautiful, mother. And it's like, is mm, is this the point you're trying to make here? And then she's thrust on stage, and she should be really uncomfortable, and and there should be a lot more emotions going on but then very quickly just turns into a montage of her getting into it and and all all that drama from that scene beforehand is just totally evaporated and they've dropped the whole thing and now she's just oh this is this is her calling and uh. see they could have they could have redeemed this they i don't mm. mind like okay so she sucks and she shouldn't have got another gig after her staring like a deer into the lights of the above the audience but like she okay so she gets better at being a burlesque star and you know becomes a phenomenon 
And so what should have happened at the end to make it right? Because you can have her, you know, be exploited and then make the best of it. Is You know, she sort of, she should, she sort of slight starts to sever her relationship with the mum. The mum's all hurt. She's not needed anymore. She's, a, you know, now that Louise is Gypsy Rose Lee and is a big name in the industry, uh, the mum is sort of shoved to the side again and not needed. And that's poetic justice in a way. And then the fact that the mum does the whole song number about song and dance, well, sort of a dance number. She does a whole song about she really wanted the attention. She could have been a star. It was all about her all along. She confesses in a song on the stage that she wanted. She still even now thinks she's deluded enough to think she could be the the big name with her, the names. Her name in lights is literally flashing uh, behind her, and it's it's like she confesses her delusion and that it was selfishly all about her. And then her fucking daughter comes out and goes, I'll let your delusion continue. Come to a party and be a celeb with me. Fuck it, mum. I still love you, despite you showing your true colours again and again. Yeah. And, like, this should... Like, I, you know, like, I, like Abby said, this is kind of like the biography kind of problem. It's like they kind of have to put down what happened in real life and probably not so much drama between them. And, you know, they still remained good friends in real life. So it just feels like after that huge scene, like that should have been like the big split. It's like, even though, you know, you're, you've made a career out of it and you seemingly have found your own, your mum essentially forced you into becoming like a stripper. And yeah. there should be more conflict here. And the, the, the reconciliation at the end just comes a little too easily for me. Yeah. Abby, do you agree? Do you think it sort of cops out at the ending, or would you interpret this a different way? I don't know if cop out's the right word, but I I don't... Do you feel it misses it's... the point? Because it's based on a memoir, and she's been controlled by mother for so long, I don't think... I think they've sugarcoated... Mm something that's probably more akin to I want to live without you but I can't. Maybe the mum ghost wrote the memoir. She's like standing over her shoulder telling <laughs> telling make it more about me. Remember how we went through that? Remember how I did this for you? Remember when the car broke and I saved you and this and that? And the, she's still the overbearing mum is there making the memoir be about her. Uh, so maybe that's it. Maybe the memoir was written while the mum's alive so she couldn't just say look mum you were a bitch and I should have dumped your ass in the street way before I did. I still should. So maybe that's it. Maybe the the woman never did get over the fact that her mum basically used her. What do you think? Rich, that's fucking speculating on the book, dude. <gasps> you were, I don't like speculating on the book, man. You're right, I did do it, didn't I? All natural. I would just I like the idea now that the mum was still writing the ghostwriting the book. It should it should have been you know Rose the musical a Rose the deluded fantasy of a mum a pushy stage mum who got exactly what she wanted, but didn't because she ruined one daughter's life then the other but technically they were both all right in the end I guess depends how you look at success really <laughs> I mean there isn't anything wrong with you know becoming a successful burlesque act but um. There is something wrong with a controlling mum being forgiven at every turn when she did everything selfishly and admitted so, I think. Mm. You keep the delusion going. No, don't! 
Sever the ties with your mum. She, because if she'd have, if the mum had been selfless, June would have become a proper musical, you know, actor. Or maybe she would have just, you know, given it up anyway and become married and happy some other way. And you know, Louise would have become a successful burlesque act, and then the mum could sit sit at home pretty with Herbie, be all happy for both of her daughters that have succeeded in their own ways. That's what, you know, that's what you would want from a, a loving mum, but. Uh, Fuck it, Louise is just going to forgive her. Come to the celebrity party with me, mummy, and take my coat, and then begrudgingly suggest that in your fantasy, your name would be in lights, but also, obviously, my lovely daughter's name would be in lights as well. Like, it's she can't, even at the end, she can't give her daughter any fucking attention. It has to be her as well as her daughter are going to be famous. Tell me we're going to be famous, Gypsy. You know, fucking hell. Damn woman. Mm. So that's the thing. The whole thing about this film is that they're pretending that it's fine. Mm. It's not fine. They're no. enabling. Enabling the movie. That's, it's kind of the point. The, the moment where she looks in the mirror and is like, Mama, I'm beautiful, Mama. And it's like really like, it's slightly over the top, almost, you know, too filmic. But like, it's like, yeah, she's damaged you. And you're, you're damaged, like you're just a damaged person. <laughs> And and it's we're we're like painting over the cracks and oh dear, so it's it's a really really tragic story wrapped up in a feel good comedy musical. Mm. It's just the wrong genre, isn't it? It should be a fucking gritty biopic where we actually see, you know, behind the scenes of the vaudeville industry and the burlesque industry and see how terrible stage mums are and how they ruin their own relationships and bonds with everyone and exploit oh, yeah. everyone. That's another thing. I did feel like it was very much like the whole burlesque thing was very much watered down and kind of like Hollywood defied another word I've made up. Um, and I know, you know, there's only so much you do for a Hollywood film, but they really kind of took away all the kind of like raunchiness and like sexuality of it at the end. Yeah, I'm not saying she needs to get a fucking slot out. <laughs> I don't. I don't even think they would have at the time. I think you know, it is an erotic act supposedly, but it was very much like just the flash of a leg is enough. Hooray, we love it, and all the bald men are clapping and yay. Yeah, it's like would they? <laughs> there wasn't. There wasn't even a suggestion that someone wouldn't shout "Get your tits out, love!" Like that. Definitely on a daily, people are probably disappointed with burlesque because it's not just a porno fucking live porno, is it? It's you know, it is supposed to be a dance, an erotic sort of entertainment, not, you know, look at my bits. It's not meant to be that, and yet that happens. Yet somehow Gypsy Lee, uh, Gypsy Rose Lee is a fucking such a success. She has a maid? She has a fucking maid? What's going on? <laughs> a maid who gets to tidy up her cow's head and things. Weird. Cow makes a reprieve and gets put on a hook at the end. That's all I meant. I don't know. There's some. There is some funny in it though. I mean, I don't want to be just finding fault. So anyway, we we've talked and talked and talked. So it must have been interesting. But are we at conclusiony metaphor time, guys. Do you reckon? Let's see if I can go first. If I can like sum it up slightly. The film was fine. Just my main problem was, like I've said, I've repeated a few times now. It's just really could have done with being a little less static, a little less theatrical, and more filmic. 
I suppose then, do you know, like in like in the sixties and seventies, they like became like this kind of like faux gypsy um, persona that women would take on, where they were kind of like sort of spiritual and sort of uh, a bit out there and wore like long flowing like uh, satin dresses and stuff like that. It's kind of that kind of gypsy where it's it's a bit all showy and kind of not really that much substance. Yeah, well the reality is you got con people who travel in a caravan you know, the romantic element of it is nice and all, but, you know, the reality is it's a bunch of carnies travelling and trying to fleece people. <laughs> Some, you know, not always, but the, the idea... I don't I don't mean that kind of gypsy. I mean the kind of think Stevie Nicks kind of gypsy. Oh, right. So, like, doing cocaine up your ass? What are you on about? <laughs> you know, like, um... Wearing... Like the Not actual, or... like, Robany travellers, but, like... Um, My heart is free k- and spiritual. Kind of, so, yeah, sort of sort of hippie, sort of free-spirity kind of gypsy, where it's like, well, yes, that's that's very, very nice, but this isn't really who you are. This is just, like, a passing phase kind of gypsy. Okay, so it's sort of... Um, it, it, it doesn't ever fully commit to what it should be about. It's sort of... Mm. It's just, oh, we like this sort of vaudevillian burlesque world a little bit. Let's do a musical in that world. But really, you're missing the the real truth, which is much more compelling, perhaps. Mm. Uh, I, I thought... Yes, thank you. You saved that. <laughs> maybe. I, I thought of one. It's, it's fairly straightforward, I suppose. It's a burlesque act, but you start off as, like, two women in a cow... And it's like a big frumpy beginning where you're just like a stupid pantomime cow. And then as you like lose the elements of the costume, it gets better. So with time, you strip down to the sexy, scantily clad cow lady. Not cow lady, but like a woman in a cow-themed <laughs> burlesque outfit. So once the stupid head is out of the way and the, the big clumsy bits are off, it gets good. But it never gives you the full show. So when it's in the t- titillating cow pattern you know, lingerie, the show's over. You're like, well, get your tits out, love. We're right there. We're sexy. (laughs) Finally, the cow is sexy and the cow's, you know, taking its fucking udders and going home, you know, like get to the good stuff. So for me, it's like, it started off really bloated and bad. It got better. It was was funny. Like a dancing, sexy cow is funny. So, and then by the end, you're actually kind of hoping it's going to get good. And it doesn't, because it wraps up and goes home time for the next act, you know? like So for mm. me, it's like trying to pass off a comedy cow gimmick as like a sexy burlesque striptease, you know? Yes, that worked. That did. I don't know why that metaphor is better than any other metaphor I've done before. Like it, <laughs> it, it fits nicely as far as I'm concerned, and it's kind of funny. But like, <laughs> a, a stripper cow rich! <laughs> <laughs> new, new lows. It's not a panini anyway, fuck that. No, no offence. Nah. Abby, you presented Gypsy. It's fair you get the final say on what Gypsy was as a movie. I don't know which year to put on it, but it's whichever uh, Hell in the Cell pay-per-view was the first one to actually not do anything violent. 
How did you get to wrestling? How did you do it? <laughs> of all the well, metaphors available, you're like, oh, it's like Hell in the Cell. Yeah, we're all there, Abby. We know what you mean. When Hell in the Cell became PG and didn't re- require big boss men to be hung or people to piss blood everywhere <laughs> or mankind to fall to his death twice. It's because I feel like both stories in this sense, the gypsy and the concept of Hell in the Cell have both been sanitized and mm. something has been lost to them. And the most frustrating thing part part of it is that you can still see what it was supposed to be. You're just watching it, waiting for something to kick off, and it never does. Because it can't get too it can't get too many thumbtacks out or have people actually crack people over the head with chairs or something. Mm. Oh, I guess we'll just Irish whip you into the stairs. See, I know too much about wrestling. It's not helpful for the metaphor. Uh, What I would say, Abby, is it's when Randy Orton started doing Hell in the Cell. It's like, Randy Orton could put on a good match, but it isn't the same as the original idea, which was tear each other apart in this, you know. But at the end of the day, it's still a Randy Orton match in a Hell in the Cell is not going to be as good as, like, you know, Mankind or Undertaker or Shawn Michaels' Hell in the Cell, you know? Okay. Maybe. He might have done a good one here on. But now it's like, oh, that was good considering, isn't it? Like, that's the feel of them now. So, I mean, I, mm. I get your metaphor, Abby. That's just a bit, might be a bit off point. Hey, my, my metaphor, man. Fuck you, yeah? Yeah, fuck you. Do me. it how if I want I? it to be. Not uh. your controlling mother who makes you do it how I want. Uh. The way I am. <laughs> what are you <laughs> Anyway. Uh, it's up to you whether you like it or not. But there it is. Gypsy, check it out or don't. We did, and we had mixed feelings. Frustration. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I mean, there were a couple of songs where I was like, oh, I was on. But like you said, Anthony, a couple of days after watching it, what were the songs in this? Mm. Like, I, at, the, at the moment, I remember the gist of the songs, but I couldn't sing you a line. Mama's gonna some, Mama's gonna something. What are the words? I don't fucking know. Mama's gonna sing. Rose is my name. I don't know. No, no, no. Just, just the image of a trumpeting stripper. That's it. Goldstone, Mr. Goldstone. That was a good song. It wasn't like that though. Sorry. I'm just trying to remember some of it. It's like... It really sounded like the Muppets. Muppets do do <laughs> I could watch that. She had such a Muppety voice. Now that you come <laughs> to mention it. I would... Muppets do burlesque is definitely calling out to be made. Miss Piggy is cut out perfectly to be a burlesque stripper. You need a bit more, you know... You need a bit more meat on the strippers, I think, when they burlesque. Because it has to be saucier and voluptuous, not just sterile and frightening. I don't know. Rich, you're going down this rabbit hole alone. I've been there before. You think this is the first time I've thought about Miss Piggy doing a burlesque striptease? I've <laughs> <laughs> got news for you, Kermit. You're not the only one who thinks about Miss Piggy that way. And Janice. <laughs> okay, end of the podcast. Bye. Bye. <laughs>